Hello and welcome to Super Great Kids Stories. Wise tales from storytellers around the world which will make you laugh and sometimes cry. Recommended for ages 5 to 105. I'm Kim and I love stories. Hello Super Great Kids, I hope you had a happy week. I'm happy because we've got our live show this weekend in London and it's nearly sold out. And also I'm pleased because we're now in the month of October and I love autumn when the leaves change colour and it's misty in the mornings. I saw three black geese on our local pond this morning and I half expected to bump into Baba Yaga, the Russian witch. The story this week is dedicated to Magnus, who is four, from Seattle in Washington. The story comes from the northwest of England it's set in a seaside town with a vast sandy beach called Morecambe Bay. It's famous for its shrimp, which are like shellfish, a bit like tiny lobsters, and they're delicious to eat. And it's also known for its dangerous tides and squelchy quicksands, which, if you're not careful, can suck you under. The story is called The Last Word Prince. It's about a prince who talks too much and always wants to say the last word. I wonder if you're someone who talks a lot or are you more of a listener? Have a little think about that while we have a quick word with the grown-ups. Hello, super great kids. I'm back. What did you decide? Are you a talker or are you a listener? It's probably best if you can be a bit of both. Are you sitting comfortably? Am I sitting comfortably? Then here's our storyteller, Emily Hennessy, with this week's story from the northwest of England. Snip, snap, snout. Story jump out. Many years ago, on the edge of the bay, there was a small fishing village. Here... In a little house lived a girl called Mary, with her parents and her two older brothers. They were a fishing family. In the spring and autumn, Mary's father would be out shrimping. Summers were too warm to get the shrimp back to the cooker in time, and in winter the shrimp simply disappeared. No one knew where they went. It was a bit of a mystery. Mary's father wore leather clogs and would come back freezing cold and soaking wet up to his waist. You never know when the bay might swallow you up, the father said to his children. The sand can be as hard as stone for days and days and then turn soft as slop with no warning. You three better be careful out there. Mary and her brothers fished too. No shrimp, no Christmas, their mother would say. Sometimes their grandfather would join them too. He lived on the other side of the bay. When the tide was low, and if you knew how to read the sands, you could be there in a couple of hours. Mary loved being out in the bay. She loved finding interesting things. And she'd always fill her big coat pockets with all kinds of treasures. One winter's day, Mary and her brothers came back home from school to find their mother pale and shaking. It's your grandfather, she said. He's sick. 
We need to go to him. I'll go with your father when he's back from the bay, but you three must go straight away. The tide is low, and if you're fast, you'll have time to cross. Take him these potted shrimp. They're better than any medicine. She handed Mary's older brother a small bag and kissed them all goodbye. Stay together and be very, very careful out there. You know how dangerous it can be. Mary and her brothers set off quickly, leaving the little house behind and stepping out onto the firm grey sands. Oh, it was bitterly cold! Mary burrowed herself deep in her big coat and tried hard to keep up with her quick-paced brothers. They hadn't got that far before something in the sand caught Mary's eye. Oh, it was a lovely big crab! She grabbed it and stuffed it into a pocket, thinking, My grandfather will like crab for his dinner. It will help him to get better. She hadn't got much further before she spotted something else. A perfect stick, bleached and rubbed smooth by the sea and sand. And so she stopped to pick it up and pop it into her pocket together with the crab. Hurry up, Mary! We haven't got long before the tide comes in, called her brothers. And Mary ran to catch up with them, jumping over little gutters of rising water. But she hadn't got much further before she saw a piece of pale crockery poking out from the sand. She yanked out a plate, a little bit broken, but worth keeping. And then she saw an old sock. You never know, that might come in handy one day. And so she pocketed it, along with the crab, the stick and the broken plate. And then she spotted something really unusual. Two curly ram's horns sticking out of the sand. Well, these were harder to pull up, as the sand was firmly packed around them, but with a bit of work she managed to free them, and the ram's horns were pocketed too. Her brothers were far ahead by now, wading through an icy channel of fast-flowing water. Come on, Mary, they cried, the water's coming in! Mary ran, but her coat and wet clogs weighed her down. She could see the tide edging in all around her now, covering the sand, flowing as fast as a galloping horse. But then she saw something else. A lovely old battered boot at the bottom of a wide dike. Grandfather might like this too, she thought. She plunged her arm into the freezing water and grabbed it. Her brothers had reached dry land now. She didn't have far to go. She stepped forward onto what looked like firm sand. But the next thing she knew... Her foot was sinking. She tried to pull it free, but it was stuck. The more she wrestled, the stronger the sand took hold. Mary's brothers watched in horror, and in a matter of seconds, their little sister vanished without a trace. Mary sank. Down, down, down. She felt like it would never end. There was cold, wet sand in her nose and mouth. She closed her eyes. The next thing Mary felt was warm air. She could smell something a little bit fishy. She brushed the sand from her face and opened her eyes, finding herself lying on a red carpet in a huge, splendid hall. There were chandeliers hanging from the ceiling. A man with small black eyes, a long moustache and incredibly wispy eyebrows was gazing down at her. I suppose you're here for the competition, he sighed. Oh, said Mary. Uh, what competition would that be? Well, obviously the competition to win the royal prince's hand in marriage. Uh, where am I? asked Mary. 
Oh, silly child, you are stupid. You are, of course, in our winter palace. In whose winter palace? Ours, the shrimp people. In the summer, we live in the world above, relaxing in the warm waters. Well, trying to relax. Not so easy when we have to watch out for your kind with your nets. But in the cold of winter, we come here to eat, sleep and enjoy the finer things in life. Would you like some caviar? No, thank you, said Mary. But what was that you said about the prince? Oh, he's looking for a wife. The man glanced around and lowered his voice. Or rather, the king and queen want to marry him off. You see, he's not an easy chap to get along with. Oh, so argumentative. He always has to have the last word and it's exhausting for everyone. And so there's a competition. Whoever can make the prince lose his tongue will get to marry him. Many have tried. The riches you'd inherit are glorious. But alas, all so far have failed. What happens to those who fail? asked Mary. Ah, well, then it's straight into the cooking pot, I'm afraid. Oh, cooking pot? That's horrible! The shrimp man raised his very long eyebrows. Yes, Mary went quiet. Hurry along now, the prince is waiting. Mary got to her feet and followed him through the hall. The shrimp man stopped at a large wooden door and knocked. Your Royal Highness, the next one is here. From inside came a groan. Another one? Won't they ever give up? Oh, well, send her in then. Let's get this over and done with. The shrimp man pushed open the door and nudged Mary inside. The small room was dimly lit. There was a big fire crackling in the fireplace and sitting on a bright blue throne, a young, bored-looking man with long eyebrows, of course in golden robes. There was nowhere for Mary to sit, and so she remained standing. Oh, it's very warm in here, she said. That's what they all say, sighed the prince. I like it, better than being cold. Mary, who was still wearing her big, damp coat, slipped her hands into her pockets and felt the pinch of something sharp on her fingers. Oh, I'd forgotten about this. This fire will be perfect for cooking my crab. Grandfather likes them nice and roasted. Mary pulled out the crab and was about to throw it into the flames. Wait, called the prince. You'll never get it out again. That's true, said Mary, but look, I can use this. She pulled from her pocket the perfect stick she'd found. You uncivilised piece of seaweed. You have nothing to put it on when it's done. Oh, yes, I do. Mary took out the plate. That plate is broken. This is a royal palace. You'll make a terrible mess. Don't worry, she replied, pulling out the old sock. I'll clean up the juices with this. The prince was so furious that his face was turning bright red. You're wearing me out with this nonsense. I'll show you something that's really worn out. Mary fished out the old boot this time. This is more worn out than you. Now you're twisting my words. Mary pulled out a ram's horn. <laughs> Are they as twisted as this? The prince was flabbergasted. I've never seen anything like it. Mary pulled out the second horn. <laughs> well, you have now. Look. The prince opened and closed his mouth like a speechless fish. 
Suddenly, there was the sound of trumpets. The door burst open, and there stood the king and queen and a huge crowd of shrimp people, all waving flags and cheering, He's lost his tongue! He's lost his tongue! Preparations for the wedding were quickly made. The hall was decorated in all the colours of the sea, and the tables overflowed with fishy delicacies. Musicians played as Mary and the prince were led in and stood facing each other. For the first time, the prince smiled at Mary. I like you, he said. We'll have a good life together, you and I. He gently placed around her neck a dark, dazzling necklace. Black gold, just for you. Thank you, said Mary. Suddenly, there were muffled cries from high above. The whole palace trembled and shook as a hand burst through the ceiling, sending chandeliers crashing to the floor. The hand reached down and grabbed Mary's necklace, yanking Mary up with it. She felt cold, wet sand in her nose and mouth. She closed her eyes. And then she felt a chill wind on her cheeks and heard a familiar voice speaking her name. When she opened her eyes, she saw an old man gazing down at her. Grandfather! Oh, Mary, I thought we'd lost you. And I thought you were supposed to be sick. Well, I was, until I was rudely interrupted by your two brothers bursting in to tell me you'd been swallowed by the sands, and, well, then I seemed to forget all about being sick. It'll have to wait till another time. Come on, let's get you back. Wrapped in warm blankets and with her relieved brothers on either side, Mary sipped hot, sweet tea in front of her grandfather's blazing fire. I did have a crab for you, grandfather, but I must have left it in the shrimp palace. I nearly married him, you know, the shrimp prince, but I'm glad I didn't. He was a bit too argumentative. I know where shrimp go in winter, said Mary. And she told them everything. When she'd finished her story, her grandfather chuckled. Well, I never, he said. A shrimp palace under the sands and a necklace of black gold? Let's have a look then. Mary realised that she was still wearing the necklace. She took it off and held it up for them all to see. Her brothers laughed. They're just cockles. But the grandfather wagged his finger. Just cockles to some but to us fishermen they're gold, black gold. From that day on, Mary was careful to only collect her interesting finds on the land, not on the sand. Her grandfather lived for many more years, showing her and her brother the wonders and dangers of the bay. As Mary got older, married and had children of her own, she would sometimes remember that palace beneath the bay. She never went back, but she did wear that black gold necklace every day for the rest of her life. Thanks very much to Emily Hennessy for that story. Emily lives very near Morecambe Bay. Oh. I'm glad Mary didn't marry that prince and that she managed to escape safely back to her family. I don't think I'd like to marry someone who's grumpy and talked all the time, even if it did mean I got to be a princess in a royal family. And now, 
It's time for me to dig deep into my bag of happies and say some hellos and thank yous. Hello to Owlet and Patreon member Odessa, who is five from Sacramento in California. I hear, Odessa, that your stuffy foxy likes listening to super great kids' stories too. I wonder if your foxy likes Kate Corkery's story, Fox at a Party. And hello to Owlet's Arthur, who is six, and Wilfred, who is eight, from London. Arthur and Wilfred were particularly pleased to hear a super great kids' story about King Arthur, which was told by Wilf Mertens. And welcome to new Patreon member David, who is five, and his favourite story is The Beast Who Wants a Feast. David's mum is from Chile and his dad is from the UK, and they're currently living in the Netherlands. So, David speaks three languages. Lucky you, David. And hello to Patreon member Xavier. Xavier lives in New Orleans in Louisiana, and he's just turned seven years old. And hello to Edith from San Francisco, who is nearly six. And her sister Josephine, who's nearly one. Edith's favourite story is Stick Woman. She likes listening on the way to school and while the grown-ups are preparing dinner. And super great kids fans Nala, who is six, Rafi, who is five, and Indy, who is two, from Hayfield in the Peak District in the UK, are big fans of storyteller Peter Chand. I agree. Peter is brilliant. I particularly like his story about how the elephant got its trunk. I wonder which of his stories is your favourite. And a big thanks to Kofi donors, Magnus, who is four, from Seattle in Washington in the US. Magnus likes listening to the stories while out on a stroller run. And thanks to Sam, who is six, and Annabelle, who is four, who enjoy listening to stories driving around South Australia. Thanks, too, to Pat and to Mike for your donations. And to Emily, who is six, and Alex, who is four, from Wellington in New Zealand. Their favourite stories are Baba Yaga and Anansi. And a big thanks to those of you who've posted lovely reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thanks to Taryn from Australia and to Slow Gin in the UK and to Ellen from the US. Your reviews put a spring in our step especially on dark, rainy days. And now, some thank yous to budding artists who've been busy with pens and crayons and paint, drawing their own versions of our stories. Eve, who is five from Benderlock in Scotland, has drawn three lovely pictures. One of the Japanese story Momotaro the Peach Boy, which has terrifyingly grumpy ogres guarding the castle. And a picture of Baba Yaga the Russian witch peeping out of her mortar and a drawing of her hut with a fence of glowing skulls on sticks all around it. Thanks for sharing these, Eve. Just super great. And Bee, who is five, lives in North Carolina in America and she's drawn a lovely picture of the crow and the turtle story from Papua New Guinea. I really like your happy, smiling Tina Turtle and Papa Crow sitting in the tree looking at another tree with lots of juicy bananas on it. And I like the way you can see that he's very cross because he didn't get to eat Tina for supper with his family. Thank you for sharing your picture, Bee. And we've got a lovely picture of Baba Yaga the Russian witch and her hut sent by five-year-old Saya from Anchorage in Alaska. 
Thank you for sharing your picture, Saya. I really like the way you've used black and brown colours to make the cabin more spooky and the faces on your skull fence are super scary. You must know what it's like for Baba Yaga living where there's lots of snow. I imagine that you have lots of snow in winter in Alaska too. So a cosy cabin is very important, even for a witch. And Horatio, who is six from Boise in Idaho, has drawn an imaginative picture of the griffin from Kate Corkery's retelling of this old Irish tale. You've really used your imagination, Horatio. I love the griffin's golden wings and green eyes and lion's tail. Very clever. Thank you for sharing it. Do you think you'd be brave enough to go and find the griffin? And Mia, who is seven and from New Zealand, but living in Melbourne, has sent two beautiful pictures of the fish and the star and Pip and the moon rabbit. Mia, what a lovely gift you have for drawing. The rainbow colours trailing out behind the fish in the sky are a lovely idea. And in your picture of Pip and the moon rabbit, I like the way you showed that the moon rabbits come down from the moon by putting the rabbit in a shaft of moonlight. Very magical. Two beautiful pictures for two powerful stories. Thanks very much for sharing these. And Violet from Winstead in Connecticut in the US has been busy colouring pictures in from our Super Great Kids Stories colouring book. I really like your picture of the owl girls and the witch, Violet. I like the way you've given the two friends and their grandma all the same coloured clothes. It shows that they like each other. Wouldn't it be fun to be able to fly like them? And April, who is six, has drawn a super picture of Baby Crocodile's birthday. I like the way, April, that you've paid a lot of attention to drawing all the creatures which Baby Crocodile tried to eat. And what a lovely picnic you've drawn with the cakes and the pizza and the nuts. I can see you've listened very carefully. Thank you very much for sharing this. And Milena, who is seven and from Paraguay, has drawn two delightful drawings of Super Great Kids stories. Thank you so much, Milena. What a gorgeous griffin you've drawn from the Irish story told by Kate Corkery. He's standing, looking so strong next to his castle. Just great. And in your picture of the king's storyteller, I really like the way you've drawn the gardener telling stories to the king and the king snoring away gently. You've captured the story really well. Thank you. We love seeing all your pictures because everyone sees the stories in a different way. So it's interesting to dip inside your heads and see how you imagine the story. That's it for this week. If you'd like to see these pictures, they're all on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash stories. Thanks to all our subscribers for making this episode possible. Keep making up your versions of these stories and telling them to anyone who will listen. And if you're coming to our show this weekend, woohoo! I look forward to meeting you there. This podcast was produced at Wardour Studios in London. <laughs>